Hello friends, Steve Cross here and welcome to the Podden Prometheus. If no one knows and no one cares, that's the only way you can get away with anything in this world. Thank you for joining me for episode two. Today's conceit or format, if you prefer that word, is world builder, based on the idea that sometimes it can be really fun to design an entire world for a role playing game or a science fiction story or a fantasy story to happen in. But actually unwinding that world through a story or through a game takes hours and hours and hours and hours. So what if you just shortcut that? Just build the world together, have a look around it, think that was... Now, I'm not saying either of us has a kind of genesis complex, but I'm joined by Gregory Aikman, Dungeon Master from Chaotic Adequate, which you can hear me on every week. And I should say, we're going to talk about it being episode 27 a lot. That's a thing we do in order to feel that none of these formats are experiments. These formats are well-worn things that we've been doing for ages. So don't be thrown and don't think, where are the other episodes? Where are the other 26 episodes of World Builder? They don't exist. Unless I make them one day. Enjoy World Builder. Welcome to World Builder, everybody. Uh, my name's Steve Cross, as ever, and welcome to episode 27, where I'm going to be working with Gregory Aikerman, the Dungeon Master of Chaotic Adequate and creator of Gregoria. Gregory, hello. Would you like to introduce yourselves to our lovely Dungeon Master listeners? I would be delighted, Steve. Thank you for having me on here. Um, Hello, Dungeon Masters. My name's Gregory Aikman, as Steve said. I created the world of Gregoria and this playground that Chaotic Adequate takes place in. Now, I have been a Dungeon Master sort of professionally for about three or four years, but I've been doing it just in my own spare time and for, for fun and relaxation pretty much all my life. Like, I've only very recently moved into the sort of Dungeons & Dragons things. Before that, I was playing with various other systems and that, because it's a great place for us to explore not only ourselves, but the possibilities of the world around us. Gregoria, it's a kind of surprising world, isn't it? It looks like your standard Dungeons and Dragons, but it's the twists that make it, isn't it? The main thing I wanted to do with the world of Gregoria was try to get away from high fantasy within a world which is pinioned to high fantasy. So while we open up and we start the world with uh, the general Dungeons & Dragons settings, you know, there's rolling fields, there's ev- every building's made out of wood. I, I wanted to slowly create the possibility for that world to change into a more technologically advanced world where all of the rules slowly change. Um, to any long-time listeners of Chaotic Adequate, they would have noticed that loads of little um, specific rules are changing with each given episode. And whenever we meet any new characters in Gregoria, I didn't like the idea of them purely being evil or good because I don't think there's any interesting story with that sort of black and white thing. I much prefer a world where everyone is good for the people they're looking after and it's up to the characters in Chaotic Adequate to learn what those people's motivation is. Greg, should we start by building a world? We always start with the same question. Are we building a sci-fi world, Greg, or are we building a fantasy world? I'd quite like somewhere in the middle. I'd like, essentially, a fantasy with some sci-fi elements. So a fantasy world with technology. Okay, let's get some ground rules down then. Um, Let's work out what levels of fantasy and what levels of technology we've got in it. Does it have spaceships in? 
Uh, no spaceships, but it will no have spaceships. ballistics. Any aircraft? Airships like Zeppelins. Oh, oh, oh I like it. I like mm-hmm. it. Good. Okay. And um, in this world, uh, what are Zeppelins full of? I mean, is, is science so advanced that they're full of hydrogen or helium? Or is there some kind of magical thing going on? What's keeping all of these Zeppelins up in the air? Oh, they are very flammable. Like, we want... <laughs> Like, with one hand, you give the characters the ability to traverse large areas relatively quickly and easily. But on the other hand, you want a sense of jeopardy there. So, yeah, they are definitely dangerous. I think that's really important in a fantasy world, because otherwise, if you gave... Imagine a standard Dungeons & Dragons game, and Mm. you, the players, an airship. Suddenly, they're the most powerful people in the entire game. And that seems wrong. So give them an airship that you can take down with a single burning arrow. Seems like exactly the way to go. If you give them an airship, what you've also got there is a company that runs those airships, which has its own uh, prob- problems going on. There'll be loads of missions that you have to do to like save the company or hinder the company. Maybe it'll get taken over by evil people. Like you've, you've opened up an entire, essentially an entire new class of people, these sort of like mm. mechanics who look after airships. There, you've introduced the kind of idea of a almost an East India company of mm-hmm. airships. This kind of giant company that's connecting the whole thing. And is the world economy very airship based? Are there lots of airships doing lots of things, or are they just just a couple doing very select missions? Because a certain element of railroading is important to the world, so yep. so then it would be good if the airships are going from points A to B, very specific and preordained points. Like a rail network made of airships. Yes. I've got to get on the regular airship. So let's just work out who's who's living in this world. It's a, So it's a fantasy element world. Are we talking... Uh, well, I'll run you through the classics and you mm. tell me yes or no whether they're in this world or not. Humans? Yes. Okay. Dwarves? Yes. Elves? No. Ooh, halflings? No. Goblins? Yes. Okay, good. I'm getting a feel. It's quite a small racist world, which any listeners to Creative Adequate will know I'm a big favour of. Okay, so, uh, and who else is around? So we've got we've got humans, we've got dwarves, we've got goblins. The nice thing is that's a nice array of voices. If you ever want to make a film uh, or a piece of audio <laughs> set in this world, you a human, goblin, dwarf, they all sound nice and different. You see, ideally in this world, I'd like just those being the three main races and a fourth mystery race, which you've got in your back pocket just in case you want weird things to happen to slowly seed through episodes as we as we oh, go cool. along. Oh, cool. Who's your who's your fourth mystery race? Because I know in, in Gregoria, it's uh, the bizarrely sentient and talking frog people, the the bullywogs, who you've imbued with this kind of you've made them one of the major races rather than a bunch of weird buddies. Who's your who's your back pocket fourth? To be honest, I'm always uh, a fan of the mermaid people well the um they're, they're not called mermaids in D, but anyway i quite like the idea of these creatures because they're they're literally otherworldly because they exist in the water as opposed to on land mm. so there can be uh religions myths and um legends about them within this world that we're creating but you won't necessarily interact with them until much further down the line. So the idea that they can be an ever-present sort of idea to the characters, but they won't become a reality until later on. That's fantastic. So now you've you've taken our setting and we can start with that normal kind of Dungeons and Dragons moving from village to village and then we're up in the air and mm. then there's always the possibility that out of the water will come something. What's the religious system going to be like? Is it a traditional multi-god thing? Is it is it is it different and, and does it inform the way that the world works? 
I think it. I think it's important for the religions to inform the way the world works. But I like the idea of there being a hierarchy of the religions, which you do as as you get deeper into the world, you find out. So it's a um, sort of like pantheistic world, mm-hmm. and all of the gods accept the uh, existence of all the other uh, gods. However, there is a hierarchy to to um, that structure. So there is one god stronger than another one, and so on and so forth. Because that leads to the possibility of so many beautiful arguments and wars within within the world and with the creatures, and an argument where someone's definitely right. It gives a lot of possibility to players mm. in that they can come in and say, I want to have a character who worships the god of hugs or yeah. whatever. And then the dungeon master can say, okay, but you're going to have to watch out for the followers of the, the god of stabbing because um, they're one point below the god of hugs on the squash ladder of gods and they're trying yeah. to you know work for their god and lift their god up through the pantheon um exactly. i like the idea of that a lot of tension in this world so it was so much tension because if you give everyone within the world the opportunity to either um coexist or start tons and tons of wars and disgusting aggression mm-hmm. right you've got a, a a world where people can travel freely to an extent there's myths and legends which have an element in truth and there's a hierarchical gods system people can either work together to uh find out everyone's right place and in the world and how best to look after one another or they can just go my god's bigger than yours let's fight and your legends are nonsense and so who's the number one the who's number the one. number one big god who's who's at the top of the pantheon looking down on all the rest of them what, well, the, what are they the god of it would be nice if the if we split the gods into three main things of the god of air god of land god of water right because right. um there's very specific plot points and world points which fall into those if the god of water uh which uh their sort of like chief people are these mer- merfolk right mm-hmm. if the god of water is the largest one that implies that all of the rest of these gods and these people are being surrounded by water encased mm. may sometimes hugged and sometimes threatened but always enshrined within the god of water so this then starts to feel like a precarious society so that everybody knows there's this super powerful god of water. They know that whatever land it is they're on is surrounded by water. And they, they hear all the rumours of, you know, one day there's Armageddon or Ragnarok or whatever it is. And that's the, the people coming out of the water. And mm. I, th- I also like the way it adds the intrigue of, are some of the people that we see already people that have come out of the water? You know, have we already yeah. been infiltrated i love the film they live which is one of the greatest movies ever made and you should all watch it where the idea is that the human society's already been fully infiltrated by aliens and is being controlled by them so you can add it gives you a nice set of missions doesn't it It gives you mystery missions it it gives you crusades it gives you all this stuff like the idea of creating because you know the um standard frustrating arguments people will have occasionally of like oh how do you know you're not living in a simulation and blah 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 all, all that stuff which yeah. is tedious within the real world but within this sort of uh fantasy sci-fi world that we're creating having the constant idea of well hang on like like you say hang on 
is the infiltration already happened? Are we living in the end times or has the world already ended and we're just being uh, controlled by this? That's a really, really interesting dynamic to give to the players mm. within this world. Allow them as much autonomy as possible, but overshadowed with complete paranoia as to whether the, every action is just being railroaded or whether every action is a free yeah. one of their own making. So, Greggy, we mm. let's talk a bit more about geography. Right. right. What are the major features of this land? What are the the land masses? Are there brilliant mountain ranges? Are there uh, incredible like fertile areas where all of the agriculture happens? How is the how's the land laid out? If you think of the world as a circle, so you've got various various rings because the outside circle is going to be all the water, all of that area. Yep. The inner circle to that is a lot of marshland, which leads in turn to really fertile fertile land but as you get closer to the uh center of the world you get more of the highbrow technology which goes along with a ravaged landscape so if you think like a uh, oh, monument wow. valley and things like that like a a, a classic western yep. desert with the weird shaped rocks sticking out everywhere so there's nothing and any sort of creature that lives there is definitely going to die without the use of technology mm. so in the center of the world you get the people with the uh, houses and the deep like oil mines and the deep mm. uh, sort of like wells like extracting water and moisture from everything it goes not dis I'm not saying there's a moisture farm I mean we're not doing Star Wars <laughs> here but you know like yeah. you've got all of that outlandish science fiction technology towards the middle but as you go out and the land becomes more fertile and more giving mm. more more um, friendly all of a sudden there's less need for those advanced technologies so you become yeah. more uh, fantasy driven you get more people who believe in uh, fairy folk and uh, mm -hmm. a pantheon based on nature and love and joy and stuff like that and i suppose if you live in the middle in this kind of technologically rich area it's kind of easy to put the idea that merfolk might rise from the sea and destroy your entire civilization it's easy to put that away because you're not aware of it but yeah. as you get closer to the edge people become more superstitious and more interested in the paranormal and more interested in things that might or might not exist because there's this constant threat or there might not be a threat yeah. greg i think it would be really nice all this technology in the middle it'd be really nice if it was left over from a previous civilization so you've got these kind of fantasy races who have hmm. occupied this land and one of the things they found in the middle is a lot of technology and some of it they've managed to repurpose so they've built water purifiers and those sorts of things hmm. but there's also out in that blasted desert there's still a lot of stuff that yeah. might be broken, might not be broken for them to discover. Because I think that that opens up a whole load of interesting missions that people can be sent on. You know, you've got these these airships ferrying people to and from the technological areas and out to the sea and able to see all this stuff. That's amazing. But also, you like, if the airship technology was found and the water purifying technology was found, what else is in here? And is there potentially stuff in here that is at a totally different technological level? That gives you a lovely switch to pull. That's Somebody's found and worked out a laser cannon mm. um, <laughs> left by a previous <laughs> civilization. And you can also hint that I, I like the idea that the previous civilization was wiped out by the merfolk. Yes. It's hard to tell this because it happened tens of thousands of years ago, but there's always this, you know, why, why, why did they go? The people who built all this, 
Where did they go? Why did they go? Did they go into the sea and become the merfolk? If you want some heavy-handed stuff going on there as well, you can have the constant argument of, well, clearly all of this technology we don't fully understand was put here by aliens. And so why aliens? Are you saying that no one other than you would have been clever enough to invent all of this? Or is the technology that they find gifts from one of their gods? Was this technology put there by the god of land, maybe? Were the airships left by the god of air so that people could get up in the air and worship that god a lot more? And did the god of land leave all this stuff to help the people of the land prepare for an upcoming war with the Mm. people of the water. I do enjoy the idea of all the different hierarchical gods within the world. Like, definitely not being interventionist at all, but they're followers. Um, So strongly believing that they are interventionist gods that they will endlessly be fighting the good fight and having those arguments. I like the idea of unknown technologies, uh, particularly in the middle. Also, it evens out the world, because... If you're in the more fertile rings of the of the mm. world, there's more resources there. It's going to be an easier time for you to exist and play and go go on with your missions. Whereas in the middle, it's every single move you make, every single game you play is going to be so much harder because you're also battling fatigue, hunger, thirst, all of that stuff. Mm. So the idea of buffing those missions by going, oh, but you've got access to all this technology. Whether you can work it out or whatever, that's another matter. But Mm. that's there. Whereas there's less technology, the easier the land gets. So essentially, we've got a world of Mad Max leading out to World of Warcraft, (laughs) leading out to the Cthulhu mythos, you know? (laughs) Ending up as Waterworld slash Aquaman. Which is all I've ever wanted. (laughs) And in terms of, you know, starting an adventure in all of this, is this a a landmass on a world where there are other landmasses? Can you start this adventure with three elves or people who exist uh, outside this landmass just being washed up on a beach? Oh, definitely. They were on a ship and they've got to work this world out. And presumably, you know, the, the fertile lands... The beaches, that's quite a safe place to be as a low-level character. Who, and, yeah. and as you understand more and more, you can move towards the middle. And uh, that wonderful moment where the first, you, you know, the, these players and these characters think they're in a standard high fantasy setting and an airship goes over. That's going to oh. be a wonderful, like, mm. episode five reveal of this place is way more complicated than you thought it was. That would be incredible. And also you've got a very uh, easy way to keep track of where the... Um, at, where how far the players are progressing. The maps that you create with and for your players will be as intricate as you want, but the basic idea of the world is set up in concentric circles, just so you can keep track of what level they're on. And you can easily have just tons of monsters in each concentric circle that are too powerful uh, for the players until they get to a certain level. So if you venture in there when you're level 5, the monsters just bat you away and you can't possibly beat them. It's a waste of time. Even if it's not the monsters, it's the civilization itself. You describe the middle as essentially Mad Max, but you mm. know, imagine being a, an ingenue number, a level one character wandering into the civilization of the people that inhale yes. spray paint and all that sort of stuff. You'd be dead in seconds. And it doesn't need a monster. It just needs a, a sufficiently complicated and malevolent civilization <laughs> or civilizations in that area. And you are... You can take advantage of language as well, can't you? If, Because uh, you know in Dungeons & Dragons, each level upgrade, uh, you usually get a new spell or new um, ability with yeah. fighting or something. 
if as well as as well as all of those things at each level upgrade you get some more academic knowledge so you learn more languages essentially or you become more au fait with the language of this world which means until you're certain levels you simply cannot and will not understand anything that you're being told so sometimes it will be friendly sometimes it will be hostile or whatever but it will just be gibberish to you until you learn learn the language which needs a certain academic level and i think there's something so powerful about all of this with just the the constant idea that everything here could be wiped out um there's a comic i've been reading for years and years and years because it only comes out about once every five years called tales of the bean world which Mm. is beautiful and you should all read it but um it's it's a it's plants and they they're beans and they're having a life but and we can see as the readers we can see the seasons happening and we know that at some point in the future all the characters that we've spent like 30 years getting used to will be wiped out you know winter will come and everyone will die mm. because we witnessed them growing from the remains of the old fish you know they were seeds that hatched um and just that constant overhanging thing of all of this is happening and at any not at any moment but I, we know that it will all be swept away yeah. and not 10 billion years in the future but actually closer. I mean, that's one of the issues that you're constantly fighting against, isn't it, when you're trying to create a world? You don't want the world to become uh, so so known so quickly that it becomes dull, essentially. You don't want people just wandering around it like they're wandering around a town they've lived in all their lives. Yeah, and also you just don't want a world in stasis hmm. because then the game just becomes wandering around exploring this world in stasis. You know, we want a world that is in flux and yeah. things are happening and this is a crucial time and it might be a crucial time because the water people are going to kill everyone. It might mm. be a crucial time because we're starting to think the water people have infiltrated. It might be a crucial time because some new technology has been discovered that could change everything. It might be a crucial time because the the bosses of the airship company have been overthrown or yeah. the new god has come onto the scene. But the there's so much here that can be in flux because the temptation, I mean, and I think it's a problem that uh, writers and dungeon masters have is to create such a great world that it's too hard to make stories happen in it. Of, of course, because part of creating a world for people to play in is is showing off, isn't it? You want you want to be like such a generous dungeon master, and you want to go so like everything has got a deep story embedded in it right this second and everything is rich with discovery and beauty but yeah because also it's important to remember that whilst we want to build this world we want to continue building it with the players as they go Mm. along you said this world has technology and it has ballistics how magic heavy is it is there a tension all the way through between these kind of scientific discoveries and the magic that some characters are able to wield I like the idea of having uh, it being incredibly magic light. Magic often seems like cheating. Personally, as you know, I'm not a big fan of fighting within games as well. I think it's much yep. more entertaining and much more interesting to see people try and talk their way out of a problem rather yep. than fight their way. It's the same with magic. If you need to get from A to B and you could just blast magic pow- powder, which makes you teleport there straight away, it's like, well, cool, that can be fun. But isn't it much more fun to try and traverse this area with all of those obstacles? Try to find mm. out how you're going to get somewhere where you don't have the resources to get there. So I like the idea of magic existing, but it being not not very powerful at all. For example, being able to create a, a light source, not necessarily a bonfire because you can manipulate that to just burn everything. But, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. like the ability to create a light source is quite 
uh, fun, so long as it's limited, so you still have the danger of the dark and things like that. But I don't want magic to be too powerful. I like the idea of technology overriding magic within this world, and that as yeah. powerful as the gods are, that is a power that they're, that the gods aren't giving to the people who worship them. So it's just enough magic that we can be definitely sure that gods exist and are yes. granting these things, but not magic that's so powerful that there's no risk of the beings that live there overriding their yeah. gods. Adversity needs to constantly exist in a justifiable way within the world. Almost no magic. The technology getting more and more advanced to a capped level, obviously, but more and more advanced the further towards yep. the middle of the world that you get. And I, I like the idea of all the transportation devices and that only existing like sort of middle of the world onwards. So you do need to traverse on by foot quite a lot and have all yeah. the trials and tribulations that come up come along with that before you get this sort of little shortcut. And because this is an airship based world, mm. presumably there's no ground based transportation infrastructure. There's no roads, there's no railways. You can't speed that up. If you're in a place that airships don't run to and from, you're walking. I like the idea of working into the world that they did try a railway network, but it failed for some reason. So perhaps... Well, it's just competition would have wiped it out. Yeah. You know, you've you've got this overarching company. You can bet that the people who started the airships really were competing with the people trying to build railways and doing every bit of corporate skullduggery. You know, is there a mystery here you can uncover? Nice. This is the tricky thing within this world, right? How we can incorporate ballistics without them essentially just getting rid of any jeopardy whatsoever. I think the easiest way is to just restrict massively the things that you need for ballistics. You know, at the most mm. basic level, you need sulfur, carbon, potassium nitrate. Not having a sulfur mine or having only the tiniest amount is going to be the thing that restricts all of that. I'm thinking here about, if anyone's read Ridley Walker, which you should all read, which is about a society long after the fall of technology trying to rediscover things and one of the things they're trying to rediscover is gunpowder. And um, there's this amazing moment, it's all set in Kent, where a boat crashes and has uh, sulfur on it and they've never seen sulfur before because there's sulfur mines in france but there aren't any sulfur mines in kent so you've <laughs> got to go and get your sulfur from somewhere you know maybe that's the restrictive thing on the yeah. ballistics is that just the stuff you need is hard to get hold of because it was possibly stripped out by a previous technology and also the idea that the small areas where you can get hold of these materials are seen as some sort of hallowed ground. So to get there, you're going to be yeah. like trying to get through a, a horde of zealots for whichever particular god that area is being controlled by. Yeah, and those zealots might actually just be a front for a company trying to keep all the money. Who knows? Oh, it sounds like there's loads of possibilities. Constant paranoia. I want the players to constantly be second-guessing themselves. Good, good, good. So what kinds of player classes are we going to have in this? Because it's it's getting a bit Cthulhu-y, you know? I'm feeling detectives and investigators. and I like the idea that could, you could have, like, a sociologist as a character class in this. Yes. Somebody who's an expert in trying to understand how all these different bits fit together. I don't know what skills you get as a sociologist talking. <laughs> um, Graph philosopher class because you're still going to need hitty people and people oh, that course. can hide and that sort of thing but it just feels like there's a whole set of extra levels of priests here I think would be quite important 
not for magic and hearing, just for um, history knowledge and understanding, I suppose. Yeah. People don't make enough about religion in um, in things like Dungeons and Dragons. Like, oh, yeah, no, it's just a source of magic. It's not Yeah, that which seems like such a, such a waste. So, yes, I think the classes that we've got here, they'll be your standard, maybe they'll be called wanderers or something. Yeah, that essentially like are your muscle. They've they've been living on the mean streets since they were a kid, and they wander around, yeah. and they know how to they know how to gamble, talk their way out of trouble, and they know how to use their fists when they need to. So you've got those, and then you've got the academic, which would count as philosopher and sociologist and archaeologist. Mm. So that that can sort of bring all of these things together. It's all sounding a bit shadow run in terms of the classes, isn't it? But isn't that quite exciting? And you can yeah. have like, I mean, that is the world that brings. I mean, it, it doesn't do what we've done here of bring technology into a fantasy setting. It brings elements of fantasy into a sci-fi setting. Essentially, with the classes, if you cross uh, cross like the weird west setting with um like with the standard cthulhu setting yeah. and cthulhu's always good to work with because you know it's been out of copyright for quite some time <laughs> get as many tentacles and teeth in as you want without getting sued exactly it's brilliant just take a terrible man's rough ideas and create something which is genuinely really enjoyable out of it like and on that note dungeon mm. masters that's exactly what we're inviting you to do uh greg and i are terrible men uh mm -hmm. we've created this entire world um it's got some ideas in that you might want to take take them into your own games take them into your own books make a film about them so you can slip us a bit of the licensing fees somewhere down the line maybe mm. like one percent of the merchandise something like that go and take these ideas take this world it needs a name can we call it concentrica or is that just way too cheesy i think concentrica is that that's exactly the sort of name that i enjoy making though steve so you've yeah. played you've played right into my wheelhouse there <laughs> yeah 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 so in fact we're gonna rename it uh howron <laughs> the land of howron or something yeah, to do you with... washed up on a beach, and all there is is a broken, worn sign stuck in the sand by its corner that says, Welcome to Howron. <laughs> what do you do next? I, I love it. It's a great world. And if all the Dungeon Masters listening could please definitely do that, run some games in it and publish it and release it. I want to, I want that. The more we've talked about this world, the more I'm genuinely loving this world, to be honest with you. <laughs> Yeah, look forward to Greg's new spin-off series, The Howron Chronicles. Um, oh, yes. Brilliant. Greggy, where can people find you online? Mainly if you just check out Chaotic Adequate. I'll be knocking around there pretty much all the time on all the usual places. Just search for Gregory Aikman. There's only two of us. There's me and a doctor in America. Hello, friends. Steve here, back out of the world of World Builder and back in the world of the Pod and Prometheus. If you enjoyed today's sound backdrops, they were all built using ambientmixer.com. There's a hyphen between ambient and mixer. There's a full list of all of the samples that I used in the show notes. And um, it's a really fun way of just creating backgrounds for things that you're working on, uh, especially if you are doing live Dungeons & Dragons. It is amazing. The number of tavern slash forest soundscapes you don't need any others dungeons and dragons the occasional scream maybe you don't need anything else but go and check it out it's uh, ambient-mixer.com as ever uh pod and prometheus is written by me produced by me directed by me edited by me um i hope you had fun see you next week <laughs>